as we continue on in this book that the Lord has given for us, for our profit, for our understanding, and for our growth. We'll be reading the full chapter of Leviticus chapter 3. This is the laws for the peace offerings. If you remember, we've already had the burnt offering. This is symbolizing our dedication to the Lord as well as being made right with God and being pleased, his anger being turned away, and then also the grain of the tribute offering where we bring to the king what is fitting. We give him our best. So at this point, then, let us go and read about this peace offering which God has for us to hear this evening. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins. And a long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with the pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in the front of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generation in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Please pray with me. Fathers, we come to your word, a word that was originally written as a manual to priests as to how they are to carry out, that we're to carry out your work in the old covenant, in the tabernacle and the temple. We ask, Spirit, that you would show us in salvation history where we live on the glories of Christ and what he has done. We thank you for your word, all of it. And we ask, Spirit, that you would use it in our hearts tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the blessings of being alive is that I get to spend time with my kids. One of my favorite privileges of being a dad is I can make my kids' days just by spending a little bit of time with them. So we have something that we call one-on-one time where I go with Daddy or Rachel or Daddy Tommy, Daddy Sammy, and if I just say, Rachel, you know what time it is? 
it's Daddy Rachel time. She'll give a little squeal and she'll give me a hug and she'll clamp onto my leg and she's so happy. Or I tell Tommy that I'm going to take him and Sammy on the bike and his body language gets tense with excitement and he says, Daddy, take me, take me a ride on the bike. He helps me with my shoes and tries to get me out the door as soon as possible. There's this supreme delight for my kids that Daddy wants to be with me. There's the adventure. I, I failed to mention they also get treats when they come with me one-on-one. Maybe it's the donut that made Rachel so happy. But regardless, Daddy is still my Superman. When I was taking Rachel out, she was telling the lady at, at, at Sorabello Girls about her pink glasses and her pink hair tie and her pink dress. She said, my Daddy is pink. And she thought she said, my Daddy is pink, but she's actually saying, my Daddy is big. Right? So Daddy Daddy's this Superman. Now, we'll very soon find out that their Superman has some huge feet of clay. And um, but right now they are delighted that this incredible person who can do all these things that I can't do wants to protect and and defend and and spend time with me just makes their world light up. You might recall your own childhood memories. I realize that not everyone had a happy childhood, but perhaps you can remember where there was a special time with parents or other adults who took interest in you. And you thought, wow, they want to spend time with me. And those memories and experiences are just a pale shadow of what we see here in Leviticus chapter 3. Now, if, if you jump right into chapter 3, you realize that you are in a different world than today. But you see, what is happening here simply, although it's not mentioned here, is the preparations for a meal with God. It's a meal in the presence of God, which is very significant. Now, remember the backstory of Leviticus, right? Ever, Ever since Eden, humanity's been cast out of the garden, away from God's presence. And Leviticus provides the way home. There's that longing for Eden. And so they're delivered by the burnt offerings and the sin offerings that the blood is shed to make us right with God. And we're devoted by, by the grain offerings and the tribute offerings. We, we bring these worthy gifts to the Lord. But God's people are not just merely saved to avoid judgment. They're not simply allowed to serve God by bringing him their best, so that is fitting. But through all that, they are welcomed into the very house of God, where God invites you to his presence and and spreads the meal for you. Each of the sacrifices that we're looking teaches you about our relationship with God. And, And the peace offering proclaims that you enjoy fellowship with God. Why is the peace offering here? Is the idea of the sermon? To enjoy fellowship with God at the cost of His Son. To, to enjoy fellowship with God at the cost of His Son. So let's, let's begin by just examining the peace offering for a little bit. What is it? Well, sometimes it was a conclusion to the end of a formal ceremony. And I think it's important to note that it was always at the end. There had to be first a, a sin offering and, and then a burnt offering. And then finally, once, once you had been cleaned, once you had been devoted, then you could experience fellowship with God. That was the peace offering. And, and there were some times where, where it was a formal act, but often it was a voluntary act of thanksgiving. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 7, and this is some additional, uh, some additional instructions to the priest, and we'll look at three ways as we're going to read verses 11 down. And this is the law. Listen to the three ways that the peace offering can be used. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. 
with the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And he shall from it offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall be along to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offering. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. But whatever remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who, touch, all who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, while well, uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And so what you see here, then, there is there's something called a thanksgiving offering. And this really was more, it was, it was very specific. It was either a prayer for or a praise for deliverance. And so if you were asking the Lord to deliver you or you were praising him for delivering you, you might bring a peace offering to him. It actually brought to me the mind of the, the prayer that Jonah uh, uttered in the whale in chapter 2. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so Jonah is saying, when the Lord saves me, I want to go and offer this peace offering, this fellowship offering, this thanksgiving to the Lord. There's also a free will offering. You can, you can come to the Lord as an, as an act of devotion, as, as just wanting to experience this, this relationship with him. Perhaps the most, uh, most famous example of this would be Samuel 1, where Elkanah would bring his family and... Remember, he would give portions to his two wives, uh, Hannah and Penina, to eat. So that means it was a peace offering. And so he's bringing it out of, out of devotion and love to the Lord. And then they're having this meal. And, and then it can also be a vow. Hannah might actually be turning that into a vow offering when, when she makes the vow and praying and asks the Lord to visit her and bring her a child. And so you can see some of these ways that the peace offering would be used. Look at some of the similarities to the burnt offering. There is the hand pressing. Um, the, 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 the person who brings it will press their hand down. They will kill it. Inferred is not mentioned, but that they would cut and skin it. And then the blood would be poured out on the altar by the priest. So that's similarities to what we've seen already in the burnt offering. But there's some differences, too. Now, in the burnt offering, everything was offered up. for Total de- devotion, total de- dedication. Here, only one part is Added up, and you, you might have you might have heard it a couple of times, right? That the fat and the kidneys and very very distinct. And you think, why is that? Now, now to be honest, we don't know for certain. But going with uh, Gordon Wenham in his commentary, actually giving a nod to Calvin, perhaps the best explanation is that fat just had to do with the richness, the best part. And so you were still giving to the Lord what was best, even though you were keeping a part for yourself. Possibly the kidneys have a little bit of fat on them, but they were also seen as the seat of emotions. In Hebrew, when it says my heart rejoices, quite literally it says my kidneys rejoice, but we would be very confused by that. So we put the heart in because it's talking about the emotional center of, of who we are. Um, and so maybe that's talking about, again, giving what, what's, what's special to the Lord. Now here you notice there's, there's no atonement or forgiveness mentioned. This is very different from the burnt and the the, the sin offerings. 
and, and, but yet you must be ceremonially clean. The big part that is different is that, that both the priests and the worshippers may eat a part of the meal. And as you noticed when I read in Leviticus 7, it was talking about who may eat of it, and it was saying anyone who is clean. That would be anyone who's a sacrificer as the family because the priests were going to get their share regardless. And so what we see here is this, this is a meal with God. So I said earlier that we see in some ways in the sacrifices these shadowy pictures of what we receive in our union with Christ, our justification, our sanctification, our adoption. We're, 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 we're made right with Christ in justification. We're, we're devoted and, and being changed in sanctification. And here we see an adoption. We're brought into God's household and we have this place. And although this sacrifice doesn't accomplish anything for us, it gives us a picture of who we have in Jesus. And so the point of this was then to enjoy fellowship with God. Make no mistake, this was a feast. Right? Feast meals are special times. They, they communicate friendship and, and mutual delight. Think, think about family dinners at holidays. Special eating outs. Special, special occasions. Weds, wedding dinners. Church dinners. I don't know why, but some member of my family from either side always happens to be here on a chilly dinner. It's just, it's just the way it works. I remember when, when I was in my previous church, I was still young, maybe mid-20s, there was a couple celebrating their 40th anniversary, and they rented out a restaurant, and they invited the whole church, and they had the pastor pray, and then the, the, the husband just got up and said, hey, y'all, they're from the South, we just want y'all to have a good time. There's, there was this, special, this, this specialness about this feast. Well, think about what it means to eat with God. Well, first of all, there is the food. Right? The food is, food is great. If you, if, you, if you remember that in the Exodus, as they're coming out of the wilderness, the people of Israel are prohibited from eating meat whenever they want. They have to go to the tabernacle. And, and so eating meat was a luxury, and they got to do it in the presence of God. Why, by the way? Probably because eating meat usually had to do with some kind of worshiping a deity. And so if you're going to do it, you need to do it properly before the Lord and not sacrificing to some idol off on the side. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but if you read uh, Deuteronomy 12, it talks about that as well, some additional rules. But this is more than just a good steak meal. This is in God's presence. It's a meal in God's presence. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24, a beautiful passage. After the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, this is how God interacts with his people as he's brought them to Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then he, the Lord, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant 
that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And they beheld God and ate and drank. Can you imagine that? Like a, a meal where God shows himself in, in invisible form called a theophany. His glory radiating in the very stone pavements where you're, where you're eating. Where God's bringing you into his presence. It, it's bound up with his covenant relationship. This bond that the, the, he and the people have just made. He's, he's bound himself to you and now he's sharing this meal with you. And, and what's even more, God serves you. The psalmist reflects in Psalm 36, verse 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delight. It's God feeding his people. In fact, you might read in some of the background, we've done some background sermons, the river of delights, the same word as Eden. Um, wings might remind you of the cherubim, his house. These things of temple, garden, or home in his presence. But this is not a one-time meal, but it's, but it's a for life. This is peace with God, wholeness, delight, fullness as it's supposed to be. That's why some, some commentators call the peace offering a fellowship offering. And so there should be this amazing excitement that God has taken me from being an exile and an enemy to, to someone who is welcome. In his home. And isn't this what we see in Scripture as the person of Jesus acts out, lives out the character of God? You know, he, often when Jesus is teaching and living, he is simply fleshing out what you already see in the Old Testament. This is not something new. And so he comes and he dines with sinners. We read the passage of Zacchaeus. Not only was Zacchaeus amazed, but the crowd that he would go to this person. He tells the story of the prodigal son who was welcomed back home with a family meal. John sums this up beautifully. The apostle in 1 John, he's writing to the people as he's beginning. He says, that's what we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And the New Testament takes this, this picture of this truth of God having a meal with you and, and, and gives you this greater definition, the Son of God being with us. And it should increase our wonder. The God of the universe came down to earth and invites you into his presence. And yet the cost wasn't it astounding. Uh, when I went to the, the couple of Zaharis, Bobby and remember Mrs. Harris, I just called Mrs. Harris, I was young at the time, but they, they, they had this wonderful party, I'm sure it was a generous junk of change, but it was nothing like this, at the cost of his own son. Michael Morales in his commentator in, Levitica, commentary in Leviticus says, life in God's presence is never neutral. You can't go into the courts of heaven as a tourist and just kind of see the sights and pass through unchanged, unmolested, you either receive a blessing or a curse. You can't come into God's presence you are, you are, and just leave unchanged. You are either a child or you'll be thrown out as an enemy. And Jesus himself invites you into his presence and it comes at the price 
of his own blood. The closest parallel to the fellowship sacrifice and meal in the New Testament is the Lord's Supper. Where Jesus hosts the first meal with his disciples and he transforms the Passover into the supper. And the Apostle Paul records in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what he also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Put yourself in the disciples' place. Strange and shocking things are happening. Now, first of all, you're supposed to drink blood. Remember in Leviticus it said explicitly that you're not supposed to drink blood. Well, it's not, it's not real blood, but, but it's pointing to two things. That first of all, this meal brings new life. It's, it's pointing to the fact that we are united to Christ. Jesus elsewhere says that unless you, you drink my blood and, and eat my body, you have no part in me. I don't think in John when he's saying that, he's, he's looking forward to communion. Rather, he's talking about our union where if we do not have faith in him, if we do not receive him as someone receives life from food, then we will die. And communion actually looks back to that fact that we are joined to him. We have a place at his table. He's our only hope of real life. His blood given for us. And that leads us to the cost that Jesus says, I am opening a way for you to come to God's feast at his presence, not just for one meal, but for all eternity. But how do sinners come before a holy God? The cost of my life, the cost of my blood. It's hard to come to grips with this when you think about it. I was I was struggling for a good analogy and I couldn't find one. That might just be because I wasn't thinking well, but it could also be because there's just nothing like it. There's some scholars and people that I respect that think are very wise when it comes to life, but often refer to the Old Testament and the Bible as myths. Um, this is not a myth. You know, a myth is Zeus with his thunderbolts hurling down destruction at his enemies. This is the truth of a, of a real God with a new blindsidingly gracious act where he gives himself instead of destroying his enemies. Remember this, Jesus is the host who brings you into fellowship at the cost of his own life. He drank the cup of death and curse so that you can drink the cup of blessing and life. Doesn't that make the difference as we go throughout this week? So how then shall we live? Well, we could go many ways with this. And in fact, Leviticus will flesh this out. Um, not the first way. I mean, we could anticipate the Lord's Supper. Certainly, as we'll be as we'll be celebrating that next year, even think about what that means, the reality. But then two other ways, just going to mention them because we'll flesh them out later on, is we are to pursue holiness. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, as John says. And then we show hospitality. If God has been this hospitable to us, how can we not open our lives and homes to others? So people of God, as we stop and be amazed in the grind of life, that I have fellowship with God at the cost of His Son. As you strive to live that devoted life, remember, I have fellowship with God at the cost of His Son. As you show hospitality or display kindness to others, I have fellowship with God at the cost of His Son. As you anticipate the supper next week, 
I have fellowship with God at the cost of his son. Do you pray with me? But often, our worship and indeed our application is to stop and remember aright the wonderful and rich truths that we have. These incredible statements that you've made that become commonplace to us because we've heard them. Let them not be commonplace to us this week. As we go out and as we work through the, the joys and the ups and the downs, the stress and fatigue, as, as well as the good things that you bring us. Remember that you have brought us into your house. And indeed, you have served us. We are so grateful for our King Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen.